This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, make sure you go to the website, sands-trustee.com. It's just chock-a-block full of good information, lots of questions and answers, which is what this segment is all about. Debt help frequently asked questions. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of those questions, the most are sort of the most common questions that you get. Uh, of course, Blair, um, it, it's a tough time for people. I mean, it's a tough time any time, but right now, of course, it's even more challenging for so many more with um, people looking at bankruptcy, uh, consumer proposals, countless others just trying to manage their debts in this time. You must get a ton of questions, you and your team, every day of you know, what's the best course of action to take. So can we talk about the the most frequently asked questions that you guys get? Yeah, of course, Elena. And that's how, how I, I've structured the segment today. You know, looking back over the last few months, these are the most common things that people are coming to us wanting to know about. And usually that's how it starts when people reach out to us. Like, I have a question. I can't find the answer anywhere else. I really need to know about this. Uh, and we're the best resource for debt help questions. You know, when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, you know you're getting the straight goods. You're getting the legal advice that you need, someone that's licensed and regulated by the government. So, yeah, today let's talk. I think we've got about four or five of the really most important questions we've been lately. So Blair, what is the number one question that people ask you? Yeah, one of the more common questions we get these days is how do I find out who I owe money to and how can I access my credit report, which usually is a good answer to the first question there. Um, you know, a good place to start to figure out who you owe money to is by contacting the credit bureaus. And there's two credit bureaus in Canada. There's Equifax and there's TransUnion. And you shouldn't hesitate to reach out to either of these bureaus. You know, strictly speaking, you're not their client. Their client is the banks, the lenders that reach out to them to basically get information about you. But you are their product. Your data is what they have on file. And you have the right to access that data to make sure sure it's accurate uh, and, you know, to take the benefit of having some central view of where the creditors are saying what your obligations are. Uh, So you can get copies of your credit history report, a number of ways. You can do it online, which usually there's a fee associated, but not always, and we'll talk about that, and that's pretty immediate. Uh, You can do it by mail, which has no fee attached to it, which obviously that's a better deal there, uh, but you do have to wait a little bit. Uh, What's happened recently is TransUnion has started to offer what's called an online consumer disclosure which is not quite as in-depth as a credit report, but it'll get you about 80-90% of the way there of figuring out exactly who you owe money to and are you behind and things like that. And anybody can access that for free. Uh, If you go to TransUnion's website, it's called Consumer Disclosure. Uh, You put in some basic information. You know, they'll try to verify looking at, well, what accounts do you have open and did you live at this street address? Um, but then you'll be able to get a copy of your credit report, and I encourage everybody to read it in detail, go page by page, 
Uh, each account that you have should be there, should be listed with a credit limit with your payment history, and quite often people do find inaccuracies, discrepancies, and it's well within your best interest to get those corrected early because oftentimes I have frantic calls from individuals where you know they're sitting at the car dealership or at the mortgage brokers and they found there's an inaccuracy on their credit report and getting those fixed can take a little bit of time because you need the bureau to do an investigation. So it's never a bad idea to access your credit you know, at least once or twice a year, but it's also important to know that not all of your debts are going to be on that credit report. So most creditors do report to both bureaus, not all, but most. But what's important is that debts like CRA for taxes for student loans, they typically don't appear in your credit report unless perhaps a third-party collector has been engaged or something like that, which doesn't happen that often. Uh, so be aware that, yeah, you might not see all of your debts, but it will get you a really good starting point uh, by accessing your credit report. And again, online or by mail, it's free. To get it by mail, if you go to our website, sandstrustee.com, uh, down on the bottom, there's a link uh, to client resources and right from there there's a form you can send off to get your credit reports and i would think blair that if you owe uh cra money uh there they will be in contact with you or or will they they will, yes. It's yeah. safe to say, yeah, you'll be getting, you know, not often, not always a call, but you generally will be getting some mail notices first. Uh, and then if you don't respond to those, yeah, typically you will start getting some calls and then eventually they might escalate the collection activities. Right. So you're going to hear from them before it goes to a third party is, is really what oh, yes. I was asking. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they wouldn't assign a debt until, yeah, I think they've, they've made all the good faith efforts to reach out to you. They, they don't want to get third parties involved typically. So what do folks do if, if they're sort of down that, down that path a little bit far and creditors and collection agencies are already contacting them? Yeah, so in that situation, I sometimes get asked this, well, what if my credit is bad? You know, if my credit is bad, I've already tried for a debt consolidation loan, they wouldn't give it to me, you know, or even if my credit was good, I couldn't get a debt consolidation loan. So I get asked, you know, are there solutions I can, I can embrace if I have bad credit? And, you know, the answer is yes. And you have to realize that even if you have great credit right now, um, any solution that you take, whether you're just getting an interest freeze on your debt, you know, if you're working with a credit counselor to pay everything off in full, but they're going to save you the interest, all the way if you're working with a trustee and you're paying back, you know, 25 or 30 cents on the dollar of the debt, it's going to have an impact on your credit rating. So I encourage people to, to understand, you know, your overall financial health is what's most important and having a temporary setback, a temporary, um, you know, a derogatory mark on your credit because you've had to restructure your debt is not a life sentence and it'll often push you forward to having a better financial outcome in the future. Um, so just be aware credit scores can change dramatically in a short amount of time. Um, and even though you know something like a debt consolidation loan you might not be able to access if you have poor credit, a consumer proposal absolutely can be accessed regardless of your credit rating. That's not a requirement. The requirement is do you have the ability to make some reasonable payments on your debts, and regardless if you've been delinquent for years, it all matters is what are you prepared to do going forward. That's the eligibility for a consumer proposal. Got it. Is there some specific debt legislation questions that that you get from people? I, I, I my first thought is, would there be? But there probably is, right? People who have done the research and thought, okay, wh what does it actually say in law that I have mm -hmm. to pay attention to? 
Well, and, and it can get confusing, too, because if you're trying to understand, you know, what can a creditor do, and you start to go down to the legislation, you know, you're reading the Limitations Act and the Court Order Enforcement Act, you know, these are written by lawyers for lawyers for the most part here, so they're not that, you know, easily for, for consumption of the average person. But I get the general question, you know, can a creditor do X if I owe them money? You know, so I owe, pick a big bank, I owe this bank money, you know, can they show up tomorrow and start carting away my furniture? Or this collector told me the other night, you know, next week I'm going to be taking 30 sending your paycheck and there's nothing you can do about it. Can they really do that? And the answer is creditors have far less remedies than you probably think. So without the, without the permission of the court, uh, most creditors really have nothing that they can do to you other than call you, harass you, and threaten you. Now, there's a couple exceptions there. And again, most people never get, get to proceed to a court action. Some do, but very, very few. So most of the time, a lot of the threats that people are getting from collectors, they're pretty empty threats. They're intended to intimidate you uh, into making payments, maybe at the expense um, of you know paying for things that the family really needs, um, but you just want to get the collector off your back. Now, exceptions to this is CRA. So CRA, absolutely, Canada Revenue Agency, does not need court's permission to go and implement a wage garnishment, which is where they can take, you know, 30% of your wages typically. Uh, They can put a lien on your property. If you've got a house, uh, even with a mortgage, they can step in right behind that mortgage and say, well, if this property is sold, I want the money to pay the tax debt before the individual gets any of their equity. And they can freeze your bank account, you know, virtually overnight. Now, most of these actions, they're done to get your attention. They're done because they've tried to reach out to you, they've tried to work with you, uh, and they see no other means of protecting their debt. Um, But be aware, CRA has the ability to act quickly, to act suddenly, and to really have an impact on you where other creditors don't. Where other creditors do have the ability to really have an immediate impact if you are where you owe money. So if you've got a card uh, with Bank X and you have a credit card with Bank X and you also po- deposit your monthly paycheck uh, into an account there, they're able to take money out of your account for missed payments with no authorization from you. And that could mean you got your bonus and you thought that was going to pay your rent and suddenly the rent's not there because the creditor has scooped your bank account to pay their debt. But that's only if you have a credit card at the same bank where you deposit your paycheck. So a great piece of advice I give to everybody is to never bank where you owe money. It's the best practice in good times and bad, and it just protects you. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I've, I've taken that to heart. And, and if you haven't yet as a listener, uh, just really think about that. It's, uh, it's, it makes good sense to me. Now, do, do debts ever expire? That's an interesting one. And the answer is yes, sometimes. So debts to CRA, again, they're in a special class they don't expire. Um, And certain debts that you would think shouldn't expire, you know, like a child support or alimony payment or a court fine, there's no limitation period on those. But for standard consumer debts, there's a two-year basic legal liability period in the province of BC. It used to be six years, but now it's two years, and you you may not have heard about that. What that means is that if you stop paying your debts, if you're unable to make meaningful payments on your debts, sometimes it's better to stop paying at all, uh, because then you start to trigger this two-year year legal liability period. And if a creditor has not taken you to court within two years of you making your last payment, they lose the right to ever take you to court. So it doesn't mean the debt is gone and you don't owe the money. They can still harass you. They can still send you statements, but they could never compel you by law. They could never seize your assets or your wages if two years have gone by from the date of your last payment and no legal action has been taken against you. Got it. And uh I always, we've talked about this before in the show, and it's a really important piece about co-signing a loan, um, and, and then what? 
what you know that whole thinking that my car is going to be repossessed all of those kinds of questions uh, i w- i bet that comes up for folks yeah so a couple of questions in there so the first on the co-signing is the really key takeaway there that we inform people is when you co-sign a debt you're not signing on for your 50-50 share it's what's called joint and several liability which means if one person doesn't pay the other person's required to pay 100% of the debt outstanding and it can really be heartbreaking when i'm sitting down with somebody and saying we've got this great solution we're going to be able to help you pay back you know 25 30 cents in the dollar but then they let me know well you know mom or dad or brother or sister or friend has co-signed for one of these debts. And I say, well, yeah, I can protect you for sure. You're going to only be required to pay back that portion. But odds are you're going to feel morally obligated to pay back that co-signer over time. And then you've just given that creditor the ability to get all their money back from you, where legally, if you hadn't done that, they would be required to just abide by the terms of the proposal. And that's why you've often said that it's so important for folks not to get uh, co-sign loans or get friends and family to give them a hand. I def- that's definitely a recommendation. Okay. So in wrapping up, I just want to remind you again about the website, sans-trustee.com. It's just chock-a-block full of good information, tons of questions and really good answers. Or if you want to take the next step, give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation, sit down with the experts, and find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. I'm Elaine Scollin. This segment is great. I love this segment, Blair. It's about all the reasons to get a plan And that's the key here is a plan, work the plan, plan the work, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. to be debt-free. And if you need any kind of motivation to make a big financial change, here are the good four reasons uh, to get that plan, to get debt-free. So let's, I think, I know you talk to so many people, you and your team, uh, from all over the province. How do you feel a lot of people, or why do you feel uh, people sort of put off getting debt help. Yeah, you know, Elaine, I think the biggest thing is just fear and uncertainty, you know, fear of the unknown, you know, not sure what they're walking into, what the options are, and whether they're going to feel judged in the process, because a lot of people, you know, they're not proud of being in debt. You know, it's not a comfortable situation, and quite often they're worn down. You know, collectors have been calling them pretty incessantly. Maybe they've seen a lot of notices that are threatening legal action against them. So they're usually not at their, you know, most most proud self, um, and they're a little bit vulnerable as well. So a lot of people put off getting the debt help. Almost everybody that I meet with, they say, you know, I regret, I waited, I suffered. It's almost a two year calendar, it seems, from when most people know, hey, I think I've got a debt problem, to when they're in the door working with the trustee. Anything we can do to shorten that period is just going to lead to people suffering less and recovering sooner and getting on with their lives. So um, what's what's the number one reason that you give people to figure out a plan and get started on it? 
you know, the number one thing, Elaine, is that you're going to feel a whole lot better. You're going to sleep a whole lot better because you're going to get rid of your debt stress and your worry. And we know it can be completely debilitating physically, emotionally, spiritually to be in debt, to have obligations that you know you incurred, uh, but you just can't satisfy. You know, we survey our clients every year and it's very consistent. You know, people say that their self-esteem is suffering. They're feeling alienated and alone. There can be anxiety, depression, poor sleep, you know, even heart problems and high blood pressure. What's so gratifying about my job is seeing somebody at the beginning of a process experiencing this and then seeing them at the end, you know, walking high, holding their head high, hearing all the great things they're doing with their life because now, you know, the cloud has cleared. They can, they can see exactly how they can move forward in a future free of debt. You know, it can put strains on your relationships and quite often we're not at our best in our jobs when, you know, we're trying to make sure the collectors don't call and our boss doesn't find out and we're trying to move money around and, you know, accessing things during work hours. So it can really allow you to perform better at work once you've cleared this cloud of debt from off your mind. The one thing I love about you guys at Sands and Associates is that you have a lot of data and the the statistics or the percentages of uh, of that can back can back your statements up. For example, for folks after filing a consumer proposal or personal bankruptcy, ninety two percent said that the debt option that they chose let them feel better. And I know certainly about their financial life, but that would impact every aspect of their life, just like that debt stress does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, debt is not something you can just put into a little compartment and deal with it a little bit of time of the day. It's all-encompassing. It, it can really impact your life more than you even think. And so, you know, knowing that over 90 92% of the clients that we deal with, they're better able to manage their daily lives, you know, with concerning debt or not concerning debt once they've taken steps to get this under control. Very good. And what what's your satisfaction rate at the end of this? Oh, it's extremely high. So again, it's approaching 90%. I believe it was 89% of people in our most recent poll. So they felt extremely happy or mostly happy with the outcome of the choice they had made to deal with their debts. So, you know, a bankruptcy or a proposal might not be, you know, the most pleasurable thing you, you can imagine uh, to go through, but the survey bears it out that people really see the outcome at the end as worth it. So sitting down with a trustee, you might expect to feel judged. That won't happen at Sands and Associates. We're here to give you the information, to empathize, and to help you move forward with the plan that you can believe in. And it's got to be satisfying knowing um, that you're on the right track and helping people when over 80% said they would have taken action sooner if they'd been aware of the details. And, and just, I, w- I don't want to say just how easy it is because it's not, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a bit of an upheaval for folks to really go through the nuts and bolts of why they're in that situation. But the reward at the end of it of, about feeling so much better about everything has got to be, has got to be terrific to be a part of that process. And, and that's the number one reason, Elaine, why we do this show is to give people that information so that they can take action sooner. So they're not just fumbling around in the dark or getting the wrong information. Uh, you know, if, if people say, if I knew, if I'd known the facts, I would have acted sooner. We're trying to give the facts in our show here. Excellent. So what's the next best reason to get a debt free plan that you want to that you want to talk about? Well, how about getting a monthly payment on your debt that you can actually afford? So when someone comes in to see me and when I add up all the monthly minimum payments, often I find, well, this is about 80% of your income or 120% of your income. That can't be pleasurable every month thing. I've got this payment and there's no way that I can afford it. What's wonderful is when you're filing a consumer proposal is a trustee isn't allowed to sign off on it until you both believe that this is something you can afford. 
So we look heavily at your monthly budget. We look at all of your obligations, your income, and the trustee is going to find a payment that's actually going to work and going to get you out of debt. So a couple examples here. Um, you know, we had an individual who had just $9,000 of debt, but it was with payday loans. It was going to snowball. You know, if they hadn't come to see us two years from now, I know it would have been 20000 and who knows thereafter. We reduced that by 55%, and all they paid back was $4,800 at $200 a month over 24 months. They were being asked for $800 a month to satisfy all of these debts, and we got it down to $200 a month and just a two-year term as opposed to, you know, years and years of accumulating interest. Um, you know, one other person, just to highlight, was a self-employed individual. They had some tax debt, which was significant, and the total debts were about $43,000. We reduced their debts by 70%, and they were required to make the monthly payment of $230 for a 60-month term. So again, around $13,000 on $43,000. So a payment that you can afford, you can imagine how much easier it is to live, knowing that you're satisfying your debts, and it's not taking a huge chunk of your income that makes you unable to afford the necessity of life. That's got to be a huge, oh, just a, a relief for folks, uh, just even to hear those numbers that you've just gone through of what people owed, what they ended up paying, and, and how those monthly payments were so affordable. I know that sometimes a person's ability to repay debts isn't possible, but of course the, the planning part is so good. Can we talk about um, and, and there's a lot of other things that people think about, too, at the same time. I know that credit scores are an issue for folks, that they pay attention to that. What's the impact there? Well, I think the best for people to realize when you're dealing with a trustee, whether it's a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, what you're driving towards is what's called a fresh start. And that's what it's even enshrined in the legislation is a financial fresh start. So no matter how bad the situation is, you've got this ability to start again. So you're not going to be held accountable for your past mistakes. You're going to be dealing either in a proposal or in a bankruptcy. But once you're finished those, those proceedings, you get to start again, unburdened by all the past decisions you have made. So that can be incredibly freeing for somebody to consider, you know, all this baggage they've been hanging around, um, you know, maybe they went through a very tough time with addictions or with mental health in the past, and we can be a really big part of that recovery of getting somebody back to where they owe nobody anything, they can, you know, have a sense of mastery over their life, um, and just by dealing with the debts, you'd be amazed how many other knock-on impacts that can have in a person's life. How does the rule of 60 math play into this? This is an interesting tool, Elaine. So I call it the rule of 60 because it's a great, you know, 10-second test to figure out, are you actually able to get out of debt without needing the help of a consumer proposal? And what I encourage somebody to do if they're listening is to just take a list of all of their unsecured debts, so credit cards, student loans, income taxes, and things like that, and just get that total amount and divide it by 60, okay? So if it's $30,000, for example, if you divide that by 60, it's $500. That would be a monthly payment to get yourself out of debt in five years. If that's a payment that you, if there was no further interest charged, if that's a payment that you can't afford, that's when you should definitely be considering a consumer proposal because as consumer proposal, the maximum term is 60 months and you're probably going to be paying back much less than the full amount. Again, maybe 20 to 40% of the debt. So by doing that math, you know, people see if 70 or $80,000 of debt, my God, divide that by 60, that's, you know, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars a month in some cases, that's something I can't afford. And that's even before the interest is tacked on to it. So it can be really clarifying for somebody to say, you know, let's not be complicated. Let's divide your debts by sixty. Is that a payment you can afford? And if not, you probably need the help of a trustee. 
if you want to put yourself in the driver's seat of and get a plan that's going to help you get out of debt, go see Blair Manton and his staff at Sands & Associates. Uh, for information, go to their website, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Regular thing that we do on the show, a bit of a sort of a client roundup. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's important. uh, And these are things that are just sort of interesting, either clients you've had or interesting stuff that's come in your mail. And that's what we're first going to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Something from the Royal Bank, which is so interesting. Well, I thought so, Elaine. I hope the listeners think so as well. And I think a lot of people probably received this notification. Um, But if you're anything like me, it's like the iTunes, you know, end user agreement. You scroll through, you click I agree, you don't actually read any of this stuff. You figure it's going to be forced on you anyway. Right. Uh, but I got this notice from the Royal Bank, and I've got a Royal Bank credit card. It says, important changes to your RBC Royal Bank credit card agreement. Please read and keep for your records, which I'm a diligent person. I'm going to do that. Right. And what they said is, effective August 1st, um, our cardholder agreement is being amended in accordance with new Quebec law. Okay. And so I thought that was interesting. So there's new laws in Quebec. I wonder if these laws are better for consumers or worse for consumers and what the differences are. And as I read through, Elaine, it looks like Quebec's getting a heck of a better treatment than we are here and definitely across the country, it appears. See, my first thought would have been, oh, based on what, what's going on in Quebec, they're making changes to their policy across the country. No. But no, that's no. not the case. No, it looks to me like there's been a change in law. And of course, the, the credit card company has to address it within Quebec. So they're creating essentially two two sets of rules, one rule for inside of Quebec and one rule for outside of Quebec. And the first aspect that jumped out to me about that was about minimum payments. Interesting. And we talk a lot in this show about minimum payments, that if you're only making the minimum payments, you're essentially trapped in that cycle of debt. You're paying 20, 30% interest. Um, you know, even a small debt, a $6,000 debt can keep you in there for 40 years. Exactly. And I've mentioned it before, but let's go into detail here because it's spelled out in black and white. Here is how a minimum payment is actually calculated for Royal Bank as of now. So your monthly statement will indicate your minimum payment. It will normally be any interest and fees shown in the calculating your balance section of your monthly statement plus $10. Okay. I'm not kidding, plus $10. So what that means, you could have charged a ton of purchases to the cards. What you're going to pay is your interest on yes. things you've already charged long ago, your charges, and $10 is going to draw down your balance. So talk about making a minimum payment and not seeing your debt go anywhere. You might pay $200 and 190 of that is gone. It's just for interest and charges. Right. So that's what everyone is subject to right now. Now, what is Quebec doing about this is what it looks like to me is Quebec has figured out this minimum payment thing. It's a misnomer. Nobody should be contemplating just making the minimum payments and thinks they're doing, they're doing okay. So what Quebec has done now, and this is what's disclosed in the cardholder agreement, is if you reside in Quebec, your minimum payment will normally be 5% of the new balance shown on calculating your balance. 5% of the balance outstanding compared to $10, that's a massive difference. What that means is that consumers are going to see a credit card that's going to be basically 20 payment plan. You're going to be required to pay it off, you know, 5% a month. You're not looking at multiple years, 6 years, 40 years or whatever to clear things off. And would that ba- sorry, would that balance include the interest and all that stuff in it as well or is that just the balance balance of what you owe? What they've said is it's just the balance balance. So the okay. new balance, which I assume they're going to add to the balance, you know, your interest charges, your finance charges and okay. your purchases, but of the total amount, you're required to pay 5%. 
So much, much different. Again, really, to me, changing the psychology of a credit card to something that, yeah, you shouldn't plan to carry things for more than 20 months on a credit card. That, that's right. not a good way to be. And it's interesting, too, that they put a transitional plan in there as well, that if you had a credit card prior to August 1st of 2019, which is all, when all this stuff comes into effect, your minimum payment is going to start at 2.5%, and then it's going to increase in increments of 0.5% annually until 2024. So they're bringing all credit cards up to date on this, but they're doing it basically on a, a little bit of a staggered um, type of a, of a way. Super interesting. So mm-hmm. for those of you who always thought that the rest of the country operates under one set of rules and mm-hmm. Quebec operates under another set of rules, you're kind of right. Case in point here. Case in point. And from my point of view as an insolvency trustee, I think it would be far better if minimum payments were actually something reasonable that got you out of debt in 20 months. Right. Something like that as opposed to something that keeps you in debt for 40 years and you just keep paying it $10 a month at a time and the bank makes a ton of money off you over the years. And it would move people to realize that they're that they're in trouble. Yes. If they can't make those payments, exactly. I'm, I'm sunk here. Yeah. I can't do this. I, I've tried to do it this month and I... I, it doesn't look like like I can do it next month, mm-hmm. so now I need help. Oh, and that's a brilliant insight, Elaine, because you know a lot of the time people come through the door to me when they can't make the minimum payments exactly. anymore. And if your minimum payment is ten bucks plus your interest, that's a lot more runway as opposed to five percent of your balance. As yes. that balance gets big, you're going to see, okay, I've got a problem. Let me get some help. Let's head it off. So it's actually going to help a consumer uh, in a couple of different ways. Yes, I in believe Quebec. so. A Quebec consumer. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens here too. You know, are we going to see credit card delinquency rates rise because, you know, the minimum payments are going to be higher? Are we going to see insolvency rates rise? I don't know. Quebec already has the highest bankruptcy rate in the country by quite a bit. So I'm not sure if this is going to impact that one way or another, um, but I just thought just night and day difference about a law that I think is going to improve things for consumers, more transparency, help them get out of debt, as opposed to what we're all going to be subject to, which is 10 bucks of your hard-earned money goes to reduce your balance. Got it. And you doing the job that you do as a licensed insolvency trustee, will you see data to come in the the coming months Mm -hmm. or year uh, of what kind of impact that will have on Quebec residents? Yeah, there's national insolvency uh, standards that come out. Now, there's always a lag. You know, when this change happens, it'll probably be six to 12 months before sure. any volumes change, but it's something I think a lot of trustees will be keeping an eye on. Absolutely. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as part of our client roundup, oh, let's... There's oh, sorry. One more. Oh, one more yeah, piece. Sorry, one buddy. more piece. Oh, no. This one was the big one. The minimum payments really kind of stuck in my craw okay. there. Okay. But a second one, um, you know, I'm not a fan of all these little fees and charges and things. And I know it's where the bank can really make a lot of their extra income, but from a client, you don't often know about these fees until you're charged them. And one that I hear of a lot is the over limit fee. Okay. And the way this is disclosed here is we may from time to time allow the amount you owe us to exceed your credit limit by authorizing transactions in excess of your credit limit. Very nice of them, right? We'll allow you to owe more than your limit. We'll authorize a transaction. An over-limit fee will be charged to your account when your balance exceeds your credit limit at any time during your monthly statement. Okay. Okay. And how much is that over-limit fee? Well, it's $29. It's not nothing. Right, you go right. over over your balance, even by fifty dollars. You got a thousand dollar limit. You charge to a thousand and fifty, and they approve that transaction. You're paying a twenty nine dollar over limit fee. Yes. Now, if you keep reading down the fine print here, one of the last sentences: the over limit fee does not apply if you reside in Quebec. <laughs> That's so there you go. Fascinating. Uh-huh. So the banks, wow. I think, they're prepared to have a lot less profitable customers in the province of Quebec, and they're going to subsidize it from elsewhere. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Okay. Now we can go to clients. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk 
talk about a couple of clients that have been in my offices recently. And the last couple of months, Elaine, things have just been off the hook. The phone's ringing like crazy. A lot of people are coming in with a lot of challenges. Um, nothing really new or different, perhaps a little more payday loans than in the past, but just a lot of people really feeling stretched. So two examples I wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, the first one was a service industry manager. Uh, a gentleman I sat down with, he was age 48 years old, and he had accumulated about $21,000 of debt uh, across three different credit cards. Uh, he'd been doing fine until he was rent evicted and the long-term tenancy came to a really abrupt end. And I'm seeing more and more of that. You know, people yes. um, had rents, you know, that was maybe $800 a month. Uh, they're rent evicted. And when they can find a new place, it's $1,500 yeah. a month or more. And this is not even in the downtown core. This is, you know, North Burnaby was the, was the situation. Um, so this person ended up incurring uh, credit card debt to make ends meet. And his minimum payments are more than $600 per month, which was basically just covering the interest as, as we talked about here. Right. Uh, he was starting to miss payments and was receiving threats that his wages would soon be garnished or seized. So the creditors were calling, they were sending letters saying, you know, our next step is to take legal alternative steps, uh, which would mean that his wages would come. Right. So what did we do? Yeah, what did you do? Well, we, as we always do, we explored all the available options. You know, we looked at the new rental cost and we figured out, um, you know, this gentleman was just not going to be able to pay this debt down over time. His fixed costs had increased so much every month. Uh, what we did figure out was that he could afford a monthly payment of about $125. Um, that could fit into his budget, still allow him rent, shelter, car, and things like that. And what we worked out was a $125 proposal over a 60-month period would be a total repayment of $7,500. So he walked in owing $21,000 plus interest. Uh, people, you know, at the door saying that they're going to be seizing his wages. We filed a consumer proposal for just over a third of the total amount no further interest, all costs are included, and no worries about being garnished. And I was so happy when we sat down, we signed off on a budget that included all the obligations, included the proposal payment, and I just saw him breathe a sigh of relief of saying, okay, I've made it through the crisis now, I've got the new apartment, it's way too much compared to what I was paying before, but at least my debts have been able to you know, scale down to match. Yeah, and you can handle that, mm -hmm. handle that. Exactly. Excellent. And do we still have time for one more? I think we've got one more, yes. Great. Uh, and this one, uh, definitely this is an aspect that I see a lot of, is with student loans. So in this situation, there's another gentleman uh, who was previously self-employed and he had accumulated a bunch of student loans in his past. Um, so he's a 44-year-old male, had a series of self-employed business over the last 10 years, mainly working in the film industry. Okay. I have a lot of clients in the film industry and for the most part, they're typically contractors, which means that they have to remit their own taxes, sometimes their own GST. Yes. And what a lot of employers, or not employers, but I guess contractors, um, are requiring is that you show to them that you've got no CRA debt, that you're sorting out your business every every year with oh. the government, um, because they don't want somebody on set that suddenly gets garnished. They have to deal with things. So a lot of yeah, a lot of film industry clients, um, they as soon as there's the first sniff of an issue with CRA, they come in to see us and we sort things out. Excellent. Um, in this situation, the gentleman had some severe medical issues that forced him to close down his business, and he was now working as an employee, um, but at a much lower wage than before. Mm -hmm. um, he had accumulated about $73,000 of debt, so significantly more than our first example. That's huge. This, yeah, oh, indeed. You can just imagine, and this was across six credit cards, two oh. lines of credit, and a student loan. Oh, you know, man. some months he told me he was manically moving money around. He felt like a day trader just trying to get things to, you know, fit. Yeah. Uh, he had filed his taxes recently, and he was expecting a large refund, which, you know, would have really helped, but CRA seized the tax refund because he was delinquent on his student loans. Uh -huh. um, he was worried that his creditors were going to sue him, and he was barely able to carry 
carry his minimum payments as his income was around $2,200 a month after taxes. Okay. So what did we do? Yeah, what did you do? Well, we again reviewed all the options. He considered filing for bankruptcy. And what would have happened based on his income and his lack of assets, his creditors would have received nothing back in a bankruptcy. He would have just paid the minimum trustee fees and that would be it. Um, Instead, he decided to offer a proposal. And it was a bit of a lower proposal that I thought they might not accept, but we tried it. And he offered a proposal of $18,000 on a debt of $73,000. Wow. So about 25% repayment. And it was a proposal of $300 a month over a term of 60 months. So in sum, we took an impossible debt burden of about $73,000. We reduced it by 75% and we gave him five years to pay off that reduced balance at $300 a month. See, and that restores so much too, just knowing that I I am paying my debt, I'm doing everything that I can do, Mm -hmm. uh, is pretty extraordinary for this guy. Exactly. $73,000, that's a lot. Yeah, and and just in case there's any questions out there in the listeners, he did have a student loan, and because he had been out of school for more than seven years, the student loan is the same as every other debt. It was part of the proposal. It doesn't come out the other side. This dealt with 100% of his issue. Excellent. If any of this is resonating with you, go check out the website for Sands & Associates. It's sands-trustee.com. Their website just chock-a-block full with some great questions and very thorough answers. And if you want to sit down and talk to somebody, that's easy to do as well. 1-800-661-3030 to find an office near you where you can sit down and talk about your situation and see if there's something that Sands and Associates can do. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to the website, sands-trustee.com, or better yet, give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for a consultation. So consumer proposals, I know that it's not more and more people know what this is, but for the longest time, it was a bit of a slow crawl to figure it all out. So we're going to talk about what happens after filing a consumer proposal. But Blair, would you start with, um, let's just sort of give a very quick, short summary on what is a consumer proposal. Yeah, it's my, it's my pleasure, Elaine, because, again, I think this is something that people really need to know about. I often say a consumer proposal is the best, most powerful debt solution that you've probably never heard of. Um, you know, even myself, I went to business school, worked at an accounting firm for a long time. I had no idea this consumer proposal existed until a family member of mine had a debt situation and I didn't know how to help. So the average person may not know that this exists, but it's something that can really help in a tough spot. So what a consumer proposal is, it's a means, it's only available through a license and solve trustee that allows you to consolidate all of your debts legally and then reduce the amount that you're able to pay back to what you can actually afford. So it puts everything together into a single monthly payment. And what's really impactful is first off, you have no further interest that's charged. So whether it might be, you know, a low rate credit card uh, or, you know, a standard credit card at 20% or even a payday loan, which just has obscene interest against, as soon as you file a consumer proposal, all of the interest on your debt stops, but it gets better than that what you're actually required to pay back is generally not the full amount unless you have the means to do so. But most people, what they're required to pay back is what they can afford. And typically that's in the range of 20 to 40% of the debt outstanding. So it can be completely life-changing if suddenly you had all these minimum payments every month, you know, 90% of what you're paying is going 
into interest, you have one payment each month, everything that you pay goes to draw down a principal amount, and that principal amount is maybe in the range of 20 to 40% of what the total debt is. So it's incredibly powerful, it's only available through a trustee, and it gives you the means of consolidating your debts without resorting to bankruptcy, uh, without taking that, that drastic next step. Okay, so is the first step then going to see you? Absolutely. That, that's where it starts. So it starts with a conversation with a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, and typically at Sands and Associates, we meet our clients, you know, at least three, sometimes four times before we've determined this is the right option for them. We've compiled all of the information and got the legal documents ready to sign. Once a person signs off on a consumer proposal, and keep in mind, they've paid nothing throughout this whole process, even to sign the proposal, they haven't made any payments. What happens is the trustee will sit down, work out what we think is a reasonable proposal, and then submit that to your creditors, the people that you owe money to. And the creditors have 45 days to consider this proposal. And what's really interesting is you might say, well, how often do they accept 20 to 40% of the debt outstanding? And how is 99% of the time, Elaine? So what happens in a consumer proposal um, is when I give them a proposal for, say, a 25% recovery of debt, I show two columns in a spreadsheet. I show this proposal, which is what the person can afford. And then I also show if they were to reject this proposal and the person chose to file for bankruptcy, what would they be legally required to pay back? And oftentimes it's as stark as zero recovery in a bankruptcy or 25% back in the proposal. And that's why creditors almost always vote to accept the proposals. Uh, just okay. one other point here. Oh, I'm sorry, Lane, just one other point um, yeah, is that we don't, we don't, you know, I get pretty passionate about this stuff. <laughs> I know you uh, is that we don't need all the creditors to agree. So all you need with a consumer proposal is 50% by dollar value to say yes to the proposal. So, you know, if you owed a creditor money and they're yelling and screaming, say there's no way we'd ever accept a settlement or a proposal with you, well, unless they're the majority of your debt, they are dragged along with all of the other creditors. If a creditor by majority value chooses to accept the proposal, even if it's the government that doesn't want these terms, they're forced to accept them. It's legally binding on everyone, which that can just be an incredible way of getting a really intransigent creditor to really get on board with everybody else because they've got no other option. They can't continue to harass you. They can't sue you separately once a consumer proposal is in force. And I like this. I mean, this includes uh, credit card debt, payday loans, overdrafts, lines of credit, tax debt, student loans, ICBC. Did I miss any of them? That's pretty exhaustive, but, you know, it's almost <laughs> easier to say what's not included, and that's a very short list. So, okay. you know, the only debts that if you file a consumer proposal that it won't directly deal with are kind of the common sense debts that, you know, most people would say, well, yeah, you shouldn't necessarily be able to reduce those debts just morally. And those are things like child or spousal support payments. So if a court has ordered this is your family responsibility, no consumer proposal can reduce that responsibility, nor should it. Uh, a court-imposed fine, so if you're held accountable uh, for something and you've got to pay a fine, uh, you can't suddenly offer 25, 30 cents in the dollar on that, unfortunately. Uh, the one that tends to, or sometimes can trip people up, and it's one I disagree with, but it is in the law here, is student loans. And it's not the case that student loans can't be included in a proposal. They absolutely can. But the public policy objective here is that the government wants you to make the best efforts you can to earn income before filing a proposal that might reduce your student loan. So if you file a proposal within seven years of the day that you were last student. Uh, during the term of the proposal, student loans can't bother you at all. They're, they're restrained from doing everything. But at the end of the proposal, whatever the unpaid amount is on the debt, so if they got 25 cents on the dollar back in the proposal, they're still able to collect the other 75 cents. 
They're the only creditor that has this special treatment. And again, incredibly important, seven years is the magic number. So I'll sometimes have people come in to see me. It's been, you know, six years and two months, and we're considering a proposal. And I say, yeah, we can file one now, and I know that would give you relief. I just want you to have eyes wide open. If we file a proposal, you know, 10 months from now, student loans is treated the exact same as every creditor, and it will not survive out the other side. That just helps people to make a clear-eyed decision. Yeah, no, I agree. So what happens after that proposal is filed? What happens if there were debts not covered under the consumer proposal, those kinds of things? And I know you've sort of talked a little bit about that already. Yeah, the, the most common ones are your mortgage and your car loan, and those are what's called secured debts, and a consumer proposal is targeted at unsecured debts. So you've got the option if you're filing a consumer proposal, and some people are really surprised about this. They think, if I'm restructuring my debts, I must have to sell my house, I must have to get rid of my car. And the answer is no. You have the option. You know, if you owe way more than what your car is worth, you know, I've seen sometimes Kia Rios, which are worth $10,000 and have $70,000 loans against them. You know, if you really want to continue those payments, I would counsel you against it, but you have the option. But in the event where you want to end that commitment, if there's any loss on a secured debt, you know, if your house was sold and there's a mortgage shortfall they're going to hold you accountable for, all that can be included in a consumer proposal. So in simple terms, if you want to keep your house or your car when you're filing a consumer proposal, you won't have an issue in doing so. But if you do want to restructure things and get out of a secured debt, a consumer proposal can provide you the vehicle to do that as well. Okay. Um, we've got just about two and a half minutes left, Blair. What's the next, what's the next thing that you want to make sure that we talk about in this segment about the consumer proposal and what happens after it? Yeah, so I think, um, as people want, would want to know, if they're filing a consumer proposal, you're not required to make payments for you know, the rest of your life by any means. Uh, the maximum term of a consumer proposal is 60 months or five years in total, and you can pay it off early at any time. But sometimes people have you know, a little bit of, of concern or anxiety, and I understand this. Well, what if my situation changes during the term of the proposal, and I just can't make that payment that I thought I could make? And what's excellent with a consumer proposal is it has the ability to be amended. So if you know your hours have been cut at work or there's been some interruption to your income, you work with your trustee, you can figure out how to file an amended proposal, and almost always creditors will accept those amendments. So you might reduce the proposal from $300 a month down to 150 and your creditors will typically accept that and allow you to continue making the payments in the proposal. If you don't do anything, if you start to miss payments on your proposal, you're allowed to miss a few, but once you miss more than three payments in a row and haven't caught them up, the proposal can fail at that point, which is a tough situation. So definitely you'd want to be in touch with your trustee prior to then. Yeah, and again, I just want to emphasize, it's a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, They're the ones that are going to get you through this process. Nobody else has the ability or the the legal ability to do that. So just really keep that in mind. And these people, Blair Blair at Sands and Associates and his whole team, they're just so efficient and so thoughtful about how they work you through this. Is there anything you want to wrap up with, Blair, in this segment? So it's not a life sentence from a, from a credit rating point of view. With a consumer proposal, it's going to drop off your credit the earlier of six years from the day that you file it or three years from when you pay it off. So um, generally within six years if you sign in this proposal, uh, you'll have it paid off. Your credit will be starting to rebuild and it won't even appear on your bureau anymore. Excellent. If you have more questions, go to the website. Lots of good questions and answers there at sands-trustee.com or give them a call. And this is the 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030. And get that consultation as well as to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.